0: Welcome to Soul Food, a podcast ministry of Calvary Chapel, Princeton, West Virginia. full youth experience. This is it. Look, <laughs> I walk in. I'm like, no, no. <laughs> uh, we are in Psalms chapter 21 this morning. If you want to turn over there, 21. Let's pray before we get into this. Uh, Father, we just thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word, and we just lift you up as we get started. Pray that your word would be a light to our path, and that we would have open ears to your Spirit. We would be sensitive to to what you have to say to us this morning, and we just lift you up in Jesus' name. All right, Psalms chapter 21 is a psalm of thanks, a song of trust. Um, some think that this uh, is tied to chapter 20, um, and we'll get to why later. But uh, you know, one uh, kind of follows the same structure. Uh, but the Talmudic tradition holds this as a messianic psalm, so it should be speaking about Jesus, in theory, right? Also, the liturgical churches hold this as something that they would would recite during uh, the uh, commemoration of the Ascension. So they're they're thinking about the resurrection of Christ and the return of Christ. And so, as you read this, you want to get those kind of thoughts in your in your mind. There are two sections. The first section is going to be God and the King, and and how they interact and the second section is about uh, dealing with the enemies of the king. And uh, it all starts out and finishes with the same idea of the strength of the king. Let's just read it. This is a, for the choir director, a psalm of David. O oh Lord, in your strength the king will be glad, and in your salvation how greatly he will rejoice. You've given him his heart's desire. And you've not withheld the requests of his lips, Selah. David understood that God sustained him, that he was empowered by God alone. And in the same way, it was God's strength that brought him strength and brought him peace. It says that he is glad in his strength. And the reality is that that's where we should be. It's through the battle that, that we find the strength of God is sustaining for us in the same way. But in relation to Jesus, Hebrews 12 says that Jesus, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For the king, if we're tying this to Jesus, his joy was in bringing salvation. And that should be our joy. When we see others coming to his salvation, it should fill you with joy, as it does the king. Hebrews 7 goes on to say, he's able to save forever those who draw near to him. The tense in this verse is expressed that he's finished the work. And and so for David, he understood God's doing a work and he's finished the work, even though he hadn't seen the completion of, of Messiah. But he's looking forward to it. And and it implies that there's this maintained relationship between God and the king. Some uh, when when you tie the the psalms 20 to this 20 verse 4 says may he grant your heart's desire and fulfill your counsel and and here he says you've given him his heart's desire right the king has asked and god has given uh, the example of the king is the same trust that we're to have with uh, god knowing that when our hearts are right he will fulfill those desires that we have because our desires coincide with his. Assuming that we're asking, What's the, the assumption here is that he has asked and God has given. Verse 3 says, For you meet him with the blessing of good things. You set a crown of fine gold upon his head. And the tense here implies that this is an act of that's going on. God is presently blessing, right? The, the idea is this is a definitive character of who God is, that he is one who blesses and brings good things. James illustrates this by saying, uh, James 1.17 says that every good thing bestowed in every perfect gift is from above coming down from the father of lights with whom there's no variation or shifting of shadow everything that's good comes from the father now this probably David is, is thinking of, of times when he's defeated other kings um, in Second Samuel he has defeated the Amorites and he comes into the town and they put this crown of gold upon his head and And it's the imagery of the king conquering that the authority that he has is not his own, but is imparted by God. Um, Isaiah says, "Thou shall be a crown of gold in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of God." Now this is talking of of Messiah, right? He's going to be the crown. Uh, Isaiah 28 says, in that, in that day shall the Lord of hosts be a crown, uh, before a crown of glory and for a diadem of beauty unto the residue of his people. You know, as his people, we are heirs to the throne. And, and he is our crowning. This is something that the Lord is doing for us. And for Jesus has already done. He's crowned him. Uh, Proverbs says a virtuous woman is a crown for her husband in chapter 12. And in chapter 17, it says children's children are the crown of an old man. Now, who are we in relation to God? We are the bride of Christ. We are the children of God. We are the crowning of the Lord. Ever thought about that? That you are his glory today. As you follow him, you become that display of his radiance. Thessalonians says, What is our hope and our joy, our crown of rejoicing? Are not even you in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? What's the crown? It's each of us being in the presence of the Lord. That should be the thing we're bringing to the king, one another. Same thing happens in Philippians 4. My brethren, dearly beloved and longed for my joy and my crown. That is the people that, going back to Proverbs, the children's children are the crown of the father. Right? We're supposed to be producing things to give to the father. That is one another. Because that's what's eternal. It's not just actions. It's people. Revelation changes the imagery. In chapter 2, be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. James says the same thing. Blessed is the one who endures temptation. For when he is tried, he shall receive a crown of life, which the Lord has promised to them that love him. This goes back to what Christ already received. He says in uh, verse 4, he asked for life of you, and you gave it to him. Length of days, forever and ever. The reality is he had asked for life. Who rose (laughs) from the dead? It was Jesus. He was filled with life. And that's what he came to give us, abundance of life. Luke 22, 4, Jesus prays, may this cup be removed from me. That is the cup of suffering and death. And ultimately, he's not suffering anymore. He was resurrected and sits at the the throne now. Again, the king asks, the father gives. Now, the idea here in four uh, length of days, forever and ever, some have tied that to to the the, um, the mantra, long live the king. And that, that our prayer is that whoever is in, enthroned, that once they're enthroned, they have a long reign. And so some think that this, this verse ties to a coronation psalm. And so when, when the new kings were put into place, they were were read this, that if you ask God, he will give you. But the reality is, it's Christ who asked for life, who had life, and has given it. Verse 5 says, or well, um, uh, one thing that that I wanted to note, uh, he's not just given life, but he's given extension of life, right? Ultimately, eternal life. Um, and, And if Jesus came to give that abundantly, The reality is that when we ask requests of God, those requests are often given in abundance. He gives beyond what the request is. He asks for life, verse 4, and you gave him length of days forever and ever. It wasn't just a little bit of life. It was an extension beyond that. Verse 5 says, his glory is great. Through your salvation, splendor and majesty you've placed upon him, for you make him most blessed forever. You make him joyful with gladness in your presence. Literally, this is you brighten him. You you illuminate him, which some have, have tied this to the Shekinah glory, that when, when Jesus... Uh, is in the presence of the Lord you have the transfiguration this illumination you have Moses who goes up on the mountain and you have this transfiguration this this illumination because he's been in the presence of the Father there's joy and gladness in that presence and the reality is when we lose that joy we need to question why we've lost the joy is it that you haven't been in the presence of the Lord that you have failed to enter in to His presence, and so you've lost that peace and that joy in your life. And that's what God calls us to: stay in the presence, abide in Me, and I'll abide in you. And for Jesus, He had He spent His whole life abiding in the Father, and that's what we're to do. When we lose uh, joy. We need to recenter our lives, recenter our focus. With Jesus, that joy was in enduring the cross. And sometimes we forget that when hard times come, we think, oh, it's horrible for me. That's not when Jesus experiences his joy, when things are good. It's when they were bad. He endured the cross for the joy that was set before him. And sometimes we endure things that ultimately will produce good things for others. And that's the joy of of knowing that it's worth the fight. It's worth the struggle in your life. Because it has a great produce. Revelation says, Worthy is the Lamb who is slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. With Jesus, it's in that enduring, in that death and resurrection, that we truly perceive his glory, his grace, and his majesty. He goes on in verse 7 to say, For the king trusts in the Lord, and through the loving kindness of the Most High, he will not be shaken. The basis of the king's faith in this chapter is the loving kindness of God. He trusts that God has been loving and he will be loving. He in, entrusts himself to the character of who God is. And we need to do the same thing, entrusting ourselves to him. The basis being the greatness of the King is faith in love and kindness. He entrusted himself, understanding it's not by his own power. It was by grace. And the reality is that's where we find security, is in the grace of God. Verse eight says, "Your hand will find out all your enemies." at this point, he transitions the whole structure of the verse. We've seen the trust of the Lord. Now he says, your hand will find out all your enemies. Your right hand will find out those who hate you. And you will make them as a fiery oven in the time of your anger. The Lord will swallow them up in his wrath. And a fire will devour it. The reality is the enemies of the king are not out of the reach of the Lord. Find out can literally be disposed of. You will be disposed of as enemies of the king. First Timothy says the deeds that are good are quite evident and those which are otherwise cannot be concealed. Jesus said nothing is hidden that will not be evident. Not anything secret that will not be known and come to the light. The reality is our hearts will truly be revealed. He goes on in in Luke 19 to say, These enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slay them in my presence. There is a judgment coming. And if we are in rebellion against God, we are enemies of God. And there's a call to repentance now that is open to all. Revelation 6 says, They said to the mountains and the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. And many people are in that position. They're running from the presence of the Lord. They're trying to hide from God. Matthew Henry said rocks and mountains will be no better shelter at last, then fig leaves were at first. Matthew 13 says, Just as the tares are gathered up and burned with fire, so shall it be at the end of the age. He will send angels to gather all stumbling blocks and those who commit lawlessness and will throw them into the furnace of fire. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Who's he gathering? Those who are stumbling blocks. People who are hindering the kingdom of God in any way. Revelation says, As if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. And the reality is, it was a common thing for kings when they went into a a city. Once they conquered them, was to burn the city. And, and so we're, we're seeing that imagery of the conquering king coming in against the rebellious world and burning it because it was in rebellion. And I know that's a really hard imagery, but that's the imagery we have. May the king rule and those who don't want to submit to him need to be destroyed The reality is that when we tolerate sin we're in rebellion Spurgeon said never tolerate slight thoughts of hell or you'll soon have low thoughts of sin And we all do that We've lost the imagery of judgment And it's coming, and we need to understand the reality of it. James 4 says, Don't you know that friendship with the world is hostility towards God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. It's a choice that we make ourselves an enemy of God when we join in the world. So the question becomes, where are your affections? Where is your love? Is it on things above? Is it on God? Or is it somewhere else? Some, uh, this can also be translated, they shall be an oven to themselves. Literally, their own tormentors. Your own desires become your tormenting. Your burning desire for anything but God is what keeps you from him. And that's the desire is that God change our heart and change our mind and change our thinking to his desires. Verse 10, their offspring you will destroy from the earth and their descendants from among the sons of men. Malachi 4 says, the day is coming. Burning like a furnace, and the arrogant and every evildoer will be chaff. And the day that is coming will set them ablaze, says the Lord of Hosts, so that it will leave them neither root or branch. the The idea here, this fruit or offspring, can be descendants, but it can also be their works. That there's no posterity. That will rise to be a problem again because it's destroyed, but also the actions that they did, the, the works will be destroyed so that it won't be affecting us anymore. And the reality is that's what's going on now. Sin has, has if infected the world, and it still feeds into into every aspect of our life. makes things miserable. But he says that's going to be conquered, that's going to be destroyed, and nullified. Verse eleven: Though they indeed, uh, though they intend evil against you, and devise a plot, they will not succeed. For you will make them turn their backs. You will aim your bowstring at their faces. Deuteronomy seven says, He will not delay with him who hates him. He will repay him to his face. And the reality is, there's two ways to meet the Lord. Through grace, in humility, and brokenness before him, knowing that he's the king. Or through pride and in defeat, you will fall before the Lord. Despite the fact that these have turned their backs and they're running from the king he forces a face to face encounter and the reality is that's what god does for all of us we will face him face to face one way or another you will have to face the lord and that's the call there's no escape from that from that encounter james says he gives greater grace. Therefore it says God opposes the proud but he gives grace to the humble. Thessalonians 1.10 says Jesus is the one who rescues us from the wrath to come. The reality is as rebellious humans we are all under wrath because there is judgment for all the sin. The wages of sin is death. All sin deserves death. But through Jesus, we are rescued from that judgment. Acts 10 says, Jesus was appointed judge of the living and the dead, and through his name, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sin and peace. Everyone. And that's where we are today. There's forgiveness of sin, and there's peace available. But that window is closing, and when he arrives, it will be closed. Now is the time to repent. And the fact that he offers forgiveness and peace leads us to the next verse. We can then say, be exalted, O Lord, in your strength. We will sing and praise your power. The desire of our hearts when we follow Christ that He be exalted, that the wickedness be destroyed, that the evil of this world be turned to righteousness, that people's hearts change to submission to God. This be exalted. Can literally be translated, raise yourself up. And some have tied it to the resurrection. That's why uh, they tie it to the ascension. Raise yourself up. But the call is also, raise yourself up. Glorify yourself, O Lord. It's there that we can say with the Lord, Come, Lord Jesus. Raise yourself up. The psalm started with this idea of praising the strength and power of God. It sees all that God is doing. And it closes with the same idea. We need to praise the power and strength of the Lord. Because he is in control. And he is glorifying himself today and forever. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. That you are the king. I pray that rebellion would be destroyed. That we would not be those in rebellion against you. But we would come to submission to your kingdom. That we would enthrone you in our lives today. We thank you for all that you're doing. In Jesus' name. Amen.